Let's turn to God's Word. Ezekiel 36, verse 22 through 37, verse 14. It's a profound passage here in Ezekiel where we see coupled together uh, the promise that, that God is giving of the Spirit who will come in the day of the new covenant and give His people resurrection life. And that resurrection life includes not just the hope of eternal life and glory, uh, but holiness um, as well. A whole person renewal, body and soul, uh, being made into the image of Christ. Uh, so let's give our attention now to Ezekiel 36 and 37. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people and I will be your God. I will deliver you from all uncleannesses. I will call for the grain and multiply it and bring no famine upon you. And I will multiply the fruit of your trees and the increase of your fields so that you need never again bear the reproach of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good and you will loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations. Not for your sake do I do this, says the Lord God. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your your own ways, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, on the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will also enable you to dwell in the cities and the ruins shall be rebuilt. The desolate land shall be tilled instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass by. So they will say, this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden and the wasted, desolate, and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations which are left all around you shall know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it, and I will do it. Thus says the Lord God, I will also let the house of Israel inquire of me to do this for them. I will increase their men like a flock, like a flock offered as holy sacrifices, like the flock at Jerusalem on its feast days. So shall the ruined cities be filled with flocks of men. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord God, you know. Again he said to me, Prophesy to these bones. And say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter into you, 
and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you, and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied there was a noise and suddenly a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. Also he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves. I will put my spirit in you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it says the Lord. Our New Testament text is Romans 8, 5 through 13. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life. And peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, The body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Thanks be to God for His Word. Let's pray. Our God and Father, thank You for Your life-giving Word. We pray that You would indeed grant life to us by Your Holy Spirit. That You, the living author of this Word, would take it and speak it to us, and open our hearts to receive it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Continuing in this series on the Holy Spirit, working through Romans 8, and and the the big point that I'm uh, trying to make throughout the whole thing is that the Christian life is the Spirit-filled life. to, To be a Christian is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Those two things are the same thing. There is no other kind of Christian except the Christian who's filled with the Spirit. 
Because to be a Christian is to be united to Christ. And that union with Christ only happens through the Spirit Himself. This is the big theme of Romans 8 as a whole. The Holy Spirit brings you into union with Christ and all that is Christ's, and, 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 and that rests secure forever. That, that you are in Christ by the Spirit, and all that is His is yours forever. And, and this, te- this wonderful chapter is written so that we, brothers and sisters, can, can rest in that and have assurance of these things. Rest in the gospel and the riches of the gospel for us. The chapter begins, as we saw last Lord's Day evening, with the first four verses, looking at the wonderful good news of the new verdict, no condemnation that has been passed down. The, the breaking news, there's a new verdict God says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if you trust in Christ, the Spirit Himself unites you to the living Lord Jesus Christ. And He gives you that new verdict. That never to be overturned ruling that you are no longer under death sentence from God, but under life. Living in a new world, a new realm under the Spirit of life. That's how the first four verses began. That's how the chapter begins. But that's only part of what it means to, to be in Christ and to, have, to have, have that fullness of the Spirit. As the Spirit brings us into union with Christ, He doesn't only bring us into union with Christ in His justification, but also in, in sanctification, in, in, in holiness. Uh, that The new life He gives us is not, is not this uh, compartmentalized thing where He can bring us into union with Christ and now we're justified, but not bring us into union with Christ so that we're sanctified at the same time. Christ is a whole Christ. Um, And so when we have union with Him, we have union with the whole Christ. Justification, adoption, sanctification, glorification, all of it. Brothers and sisters, um, we need to be reminded sometimes that holiness matters. We love justification. We preach justification. We rejoice in justification. But we need to remember that sanctification matters. That, that the, the, the power of the Spirit, new life in us, uh, uh, producing holiness is vital to the Christian life. We can't have one without the other. Um, we also need, of course, though, at other times, sometimes we need to hear holiness matters. Other times we need to hear uh, that... that uh, uh, the strength for this, the, the energy, the spiritual energy for sanctification comes from God Himself, not ourselves. Um, holiness is hard, and sometimes it feels very hard. Romans 7 comes right before Romans 8, doesn't it? Um, and uh, the, the discussion there of, uh, uh, of the difficulties of striving against indwelling sin. And so we need to be encouraged that yes, God has given you His Spirit, new life already working in you so that you can grow in holiness. You are not trying. Um, Holiness is a supernatural thing. You are not, God is not calling you to pursue that in your own strength by natural means. But He's given you His Spirit to produce that in you. This passage that we just read, verses 5-13, through is a call to holiness in union with Christ, through the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit. 
Let's unpack this now together. Uh, four pairs of contrasts that the text works through. Four pairs of contrasts. The first one is in verse 5. And the first contrast is two mindsets. Two mindsets. Verse 5 says, Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Paul is saying two types of people. Those with a mindset on the flesh, those with the mind set on the Spirit. Um, these two opposite, antithetical mindsets. Uh, the first one is this mind that is set on the flesh. It's intent on, on, on the flesh. It's the mindset of the present evil age. What is it, though? What, what does it mean to have a mind set on the flesh? It's uh, fundamental to it, I think, is, is self-centeredness. Um, uh, Calvin talks about how, how sin makes us curved in on ourselves. The picture that comes to my mind when I hear that is Gollum in The Lord of the Rings, and he's, and he's got his, his ring, he's curved in on himself, obsessed over himself. Um, and, and that's what sin does to us. It makes us self-focused, self, uh, self, self-obsessed, uh, thinking just about what we want, our goals and desires and ambitions. And loved ones, this can take uh, shape in so many different ways. Um, it can wear different clothes, this mindset on the flesh. Um, it, can, it can look very overtly and, and outwardly worldly and, and sinful. Um, uh, lust, um, uh, greed, anger, sinful pleasures, living for these things. Um, and all of that, obviously, sinful, worldly, lusts. Um, but it can also look a little more respectable than that, a fleshly mindset, a, a uh, self-centered mindset. Um, you might avoid the scandalous things, uh, but you, you, do the, 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 you still live a life that is fixated on what you want, uh, what your goals in life are, being lazy and uninterested in the things of God, just want to be comfortable. Uh, that's also a fleshly, worldly, self-centered and sinful mindset and lifestyle. Um, another way this could look, it could also look very religious. Um, you might be very devoted to a particular cause. You might be a, a, a peer for all, uh, you know, to, to, to on the outside as a, as, a, as a Christian in every way, showing up to church on time and singing the hymns and participating in, in the worship service and uh, serving and volunteering. But underneath, it's still about self, advancing me not about advancing Christ, honoring and loving Him. And, and that's no less worldly and, and a fleshly mindset than, than any other. Um, so this, this is what it looks like to have a mind set in the flesh, a lifestyle devoted to, to, to self and your own interests. What about the mind that's set in the Spirit? So that, that's on the one hand, Paul's saying, there's this fleshly mindset. On the other hand, there's to live according to the Spirit is to set your mind on the things of the Spirit. This is a mind that's been de-self-centered, we could say that. Uh, um, uh, no longer curved in on itself, no longer self-obsessed and self-fixated, but instead saying, um, what does God want me to do with my life? What does God call me to do? Right? The, the wonderful line from the hymn, Be Thou My Vision. Uh, God, you are my best thought by day or by night. The, the, the mind that is set on the Spirit, to develop this a little more um, uh, fundamentally, means that your, your mindset is oriented heavenward. That the, you can think of it um, that the destination that's punched into your heart's GPS 
is where Christ is. Seated in the heavenly places. That everything in your life, yes, there's all these different aspects of it, but everything, the destination that your heart has and all of it is heavenward, Christward. That's what it is to have the mind that is set on the Spirit. So Paul presents these two mindsets to us. And he's, which is yours, brothers and sisters? Which is your mindset? Is it aimed at self? Fulfillment, uh, here and now, this world, my agenda? Or is it intent, focus on Christ and His kingdom in the heavenly places, working and living and laboring for these things? This is what it is to set the mind on the Spirit. So that's the first contrast. Mindset in the flesh versus a mind set on the Spirit. But then Paul digs a little deeper. And he shows us in verses 7 through 11 that these two antithetical mindsets are based in two two realities, two underlying realms underneath these mindsets. Um, these, These mindsets are not just the result of choices that we make, but these are the result of spiritual realities that we are living in. Um... Paul describes this first realm or or, or domain of the flesh in verses 7 through 8. He describes it as a desperate and miserable thing. He says this, The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. See what he's saying? He's described the fleshly mindset, and now he's saying the mind that's set in the flesh is a mind that's hostile to God. It's a, it's a mind that's been spiritually programmed by sin to be uh, uh, full of uh, hatred towards God, um, to be in rebellion against Him. This is the doctrine of total depravity. You are in this prison of hatred towards God, a prison you can't escape and don't want to escape. Uh, Verse 8 is one of the most uh, frightening verses in the whole Bible. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Cannot please God. In other words, there's no way out of that realm of being in the flesh, having a fleshly, earthly, uh, sinful mindset, self-centered mindset. There's no way out of that. You're locked in. You can't escape it. You cannot please God. You can't turn things around. What do we do with a verse like that? You keep reading and go on to verse 9. Where Paul tells us about the realm of the Spirit. He says this, You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. How do you get moved out of the old sinful realm dominated by the tyranny of sin to the new creation world. The realm dominated by the Holy Spirit. Verse 9 says, well, that happens to you when the Spirit gives you life, when the Spirit takes up residence in you and transforms you. It's not our power that, that turns this around, that changes this heart from a fleshly heart to a spiritual heart. It's only the Holy Spirit who can, who can do this. This is what it means to be born again. It means that the Holy Spirit Himself comes as the great Creator and gives you new life in Christ and takes you out of the old realm under the tyranny of sin and brings you into the new realm 
where the Spirit dominates and rules. It's not something you can do. something only the Spirit of God can do. This is the glorious transformation of becoming a Christian. It's to have this glorious transformation in you. Paul says, the end of verse 9, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Unless you are filled with the Spirit, then you're not his, not a Christian. Without the Spirit, you can't be transformed like this. You don't belong to Christ. The reason is, is very simple. It's, it's right here in the text. Um, simple and, and profound as well. It's because the Spirit is the Spirit of Christ, as, as Paul says in verse 9. There's this fascinating connection in, in verse 9 that Paul makes between the Spirit and our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and it comes out in verse 10 as well. He says in verse 9, if the Spirit of Christ is not in you, and then in verse 10 he says, but if Christ is in you. He's drawing this close equation, do you see? He's talking about the Holy Spirit, and then suddenly he's transitioning, he's talking about Christ, as though they're the same. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, Christ. Now the Holy Spirit and Jesus are not the same. Um, If I started saying that, then uh, one of the elders should come up here and lead me gently but firmly off the, uh, away from the pulpit. Um, the Holy Spirit and Christ are not the same. Um, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are three distinct persons, one God forever. And the Scriptures don't blur the lines between the relations of the persons of the Godhead with one another. But in the way that the Trinity carries out our salvation... Um, the Spirit, as it were, takes on the very shape and impress of Christ Himself as He's poured out on the church and, 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 and gives us life. Um, the Holy Spirit comes, first of all, on Christ Himself. When Christ comes as the, when, when, when the Son of God uh, takes on flesh, made incarnate, takes the human nature to himself and becomes, t- takes, takes on that role as, as the Messiah. Uh, he is filled with the Spirit. The Spirit's there at his conception, hovering, uh, hovering over Mary. Um, and and then, the, then the Spirit comes on him, we see, at his baptism, filling the Messiah, equipping him, coming down on him to equip him for his ministry. And we see the Spirit filling him with resurrection life on the third day, raising him up from the dead. So Christ is the Spirit-filled Messiah. And then He rises up into glory in heaven and pours out the Christ-shaped Spirit on His church. The Spirit who has filled Christ now comes and fills the church. Jesus speaks about this in John 14. He says, I will ask the Father. He will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So Jesus there does the same thing Paul does. As he he says, the Spirit will come to you means I will come to you. The Spirit gives us Christ Himself. Sinclair Ferguson, in his wonderful book on the Holy Spirit, writes this. He says, so complete is the union between Jesus and the Spirit that the coming of the Spirit is the coming of Jesus Himself in the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit is to be filled with all the fullness of Christ. 
That is the Holy Spirit's role. That is his ministry. Uh, not, 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 just, uh, not, not, not some special prophetic powers or speaking in tongues or a special spiritual feeling, but to fill you with Christ and give you Christ is the role of the Spirit. What does this mean? Paul highlights two things that this means for us in verse 10 and then verse 11. First, verse 10, he says, If Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Body, still dead because of sin. Still feeling the effects of the curse. Still mortal. Still get sick. Still aging. But the spirit's in you. The spirit of Christ's resurrection life is in you. At work in you already. Right? Think about this. This is, this is so uh, uh, wonderful to consider, brothers and sisters. As our bodies continue to be under the effects of sin and the curse. Resurrection life's already started. Right? What does he say in the text? He says, if Christ is in you, even though the body's dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But the Spirit Himself in you, giving you, giving you new life. In a way, we can even say, in Christ, you're not getting older, less alive. You're getting more alive. Even as your body ages, you are becoming more and more alive in Christ. The older and weaker your body gets, the more it underlines the fact that the Spirit is giving you spiritual life and working increasing holiness in you. That the same Spirit who indwelt Christ and empowered Christ for His obedience is working in you if you are a Christian, living in you and making you more and more like Himself including in holiness and righteousness, growth and grace, sanctification. And then verse 11, Paul continues in the same theme, and he adds this. He says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. If the Spirit of Him who raised Christ from the dead is in you, the Spirit raised Christ, now that Spirit is in you, what is He going to do? He's going to raise you as well. Raise you up on on the last day. You have been united to Christ with a vital, inseparable union. You've been united to Him in His resurrection. Eternal life, resurrection life, therefore, is already at work in the believer, even in this life. And that means, loved ones, that one day that work will be brought to its full completion. And we will be there with Christ, resurrected, just like Jesus, a body just like His. But the process is already happening in the Christian now. And it's going to be brought into its Fullness of completion. And so we're getting these two wonderful aspects of the same wonderful union with the risen Christ. Our souls are being made righteous like His. And our bodies will be made alive forever like His. Right? This wonderful way that we are made like Him because of our union with Him by the Spirit. So which realm are you in? Paul is comparing and contrasting these these two pairs. Realm of the flesh, sin, death, mortality, dominated by self-centeredness and condemnation. 
and then finally death in the end. Or the realm of life-giving, holiness-working, resurrection-promising, spiritual life dominated by the Spirit. That is the, that is the, the question. Are you in the Spirit, filled with Him? The only way that you become that is by His work. To cry out to Him that He'd do that work in you and increase that work in you if He's already begun it. All right, so we've seen two mindsets. Underneath those mindsets, two realms. Um, third pair of contrasts we see is in verses 12 through 13, two debts. Depending on which realm you're in and which mindset you have, you have a debt. Uh, both, both you're, you're either in debt to the flesh or you're in debt to the spirit. Paul's transitioning now into verse 12, and he's drawing conclusions from what he's just been articulating about these two mindsets and these two realms. And he says in verse, uh, in, in verse 12 that uh, we don't have the debt we used to have, and instead we have a, a new debt in its place. He says, therefore, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. What does it mean to be a debtor to the flesh? Uh, well, it means you owe obedience to sin. Sin has your number. Uh, sin has, right, here's your account, and it's all in the red. Sin says you owe more, you owe more, you owe more. More sin and more judgment and more condemnation. You cannot disobey it. Right, that, that's that old realm under the dominating influence of the tyranny of sin. Um, the good news of the gospel that Paul is proclaiming here is that we're set free from that tyranny. We're not a debtor to sin anymore. That tyranny's been broken. Now we don't owe sin anything. It's, uh, the Spirit has rescued us. It's brought us into a new realm, and sin doesn't have jurisdiction in the new realm. And you owe it nothing. Instead, you are a debtor only to God. Only to God. You owe Him He has given all for you. He gave Christ to redeem you. He has shown grace upon grace to you. So we owe Him obedience, holiness of life, asking us to put to death the deeds of the flesh, as Paul says. Some time ago I saw a a movie which was dramatizing this true story of um, some children who had grown up in some Nazi concentration camps. The only experience of life they could remember was their time they'd had in these prison camps, and they'd been warped by it, right? That old realm that, that of, 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 uh, of tyranny and, and terror. But then they're rescued. The war ends, and they're brought to England uh, because they have nowhere else to go, and they're brought to this, this new place, this, this institution, which sort of a rehabilitation camp for them, where they were loved and cared for provided for, but it was interesting to, to watch the experience of these children and, and how it took them so much time to unlearn their old way of life. Right? Old way of life. They're not living in the prison camps anymore. They're in a new realm under a new jurisdiction, new authority. But it took time to learn to put away the old habits of fear and, 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 and slavish terror and to learn new habits and new trust. Uh, so it is in the Christian. So it is with the gospel. We've been set free, transferred to a new realm in Christ. And so over and over through Paul's epistles, we read of, of this same encouragement. You're not a slave or a debtor to sin. You're in Christ. Sin has no authority over you. So put 
put sin to death. Paul, uh, Paul drives this point home by um, calling us to be ruthless with our sin. He's telling us you're not a debtor to sin, so put off that sin. Put off that old way of living. Um, he uh, calls us to do this, and he warns that if we don't, uh, the consequences are, are severe. How do we do this? How do we grow in killing sin, putting off sin? Um, well, first, you have to know the sin that's there in your heart. Know the ways you're still paying tribute, as it were, to that old realm uh, dominated by the self. Uh, that means knowing the Word of God, knowing the law of God, reading it and, and praying that God would show your heart, uh, show you, show you your, own, your own sinfulness. And then it means going after it. Lord, show me my sin. And now, Lord, help me to put off that sin. If it's in my heart, Lord, help me to help me to change in my in my heart. Teach me, teach me new affections, new loves. Um, Lord, teach me new habits. Help me to put off the old ones and put on new. It, it, it's it's uh, it's prayer. It's the Word. It's the means of grace. It's Christ. It's the Spirit of Christ. Paul emphasizes this, verse thirteen. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, he says, you will live. This is only done by the Spirit. So, brothers and sisters, there are two mindsets based in two realms, um, and both of them carry a debt. One a debt to sin, one a debt of gratitude and obedience to God. Um, and all of them, uh, either, e- either one le- leads to a result. On the one hand, death, and on the other, life. This is our final heading, two results. You see this in verse 6 and verse 13. So Paul here lays, us, uh, lays before us the two opposite results of the two mindsets and the two realities and the two debts. Uh, first he says in verse 6, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And then verse 13, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Result? On the one hand, death. Back in the old world. Condemnation. Death sentence over your life. The tyranny of sinful desires. Separated from God. Exiled from Him forever and ever. Facing hell. Paul puts it in verse 6 as a present thing that's already begun. This, this death. That if you're setting your mind on the flesh, it, it is death. It's a present sense here that sin is like a lethal poison. As, as you take it, as you drink it, it will, uh, it will be killing you. This is a present result of living a life in the flesh. And then verse 13, Paul gives us the final result of living in the flesh. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. You're living in sin. That's death, but it's going to result in a consummation of that death. Final judgment, final punishment, and hell itself. That's on the one hand. The other result of the mindset on the Spirit, living in the Spirit. Verse 6 says, To set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Is, again, present life and peace. To, To live now in the Spirit, setting your mind on the Spirit, is to enjoy life, eternal resurrection life. And peace, peace with God. The promise of of glorious peace forever with Him. And then he says in verse 13 that life also will be brought to fruition. 
He says, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So the life already begun in you by the Spirit will be brought to its wonderful, full completion in union with the risen Christ and life with Him forever. So, loved ones, we see the picture. It could not be put more starkly. The two mindsets, mindset in the flesh, mindset in the Spirit. The two realms, dominated by sinful desires and the tyranny of sin, or dominated by the life-giving Spirit of God. The two debts, a debt of sinful slavery or a debt of obedience and gratitude to God. And the two results, on the one hand, death, on the other, life and peace. Are you in the Spirit? Which one is yours? Let's pray together. We thank you, O God, that you have poured out your Spirit, the Spirit of the risen Christ, to give us life. Lord, we know that we cannot, in our own strength, even choose Christ or turn to Christ or repent of a single sin. So we cry out to you for your grace. We cry out to you for your Spirit to make us alive in Christ make us more and more alive in him and bring us at last to glory. We pray this in his precious name. Amen.